Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 7. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we received, or we understand, that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith... Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him up. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark, For the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Tony. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So repeat after me. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. We'll do it one more time. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. Okay, you all just memorized one verse of the Bible, okay? If you think, oh, it's hard to memorize, no, like you got it. So that, that's the definition of faith. We, we studied that last week as we opened up the text of Hebrews. Remember, we're in the context of uh, Christians who are Hebrew Christians uh, that have been uh, tempted to go back to their old manner of the sacrificial system. Now, uh, the writer of Hebrews has told them tons about Jesus, and he's telling them that because he wants them to bolster their faith because they're in the midst of hardship and persecution and more persecution is coming. And so he's envisioning them to a life of faith. So we learn that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, that's a great definition. And even though we just memorized it together and you can rehearse that at home and have that at the ready, sometimes having a definition doesn't always help right? Sometimes having a different definition, you need an example of what it looks like. And the writer of Hebrews says, yes, I'm going to give you a definition, and then I'm going to give you a boatload of examples of what this looks like. So we are going to look over the next number of messages in the book of Hebrews, we're going to look at some practical ways of how faith works itself out in life as we look at Old Testament characters. And this morning, we're going to look at three Old Testament characters. We're going to look at Abel, we're going to look at Enoch, and we're going to look 
at Noah and each of their stories, even though each of them probably imbibed some of these different aspects of faith, there's one particular aspect that the writer of Hebrews is highlighting for us so we can kind of get a fuller picture. What does it actually look like in day-to-day life to have faith? Not just have the definition that it's the assurance of things hoped for, but the convictions of things not yet seen. So let's jump in and get yourselves ready because we're going to be we're going to be in the book of Genesis a lot. So if you want to keep keep one maybe thing in this part of your Bible and be ready to flip back to Genesis, we're going to be in both places a lot this morning and over the next few weeks. So the first point that we have as we look at the life of Abel is faith trusts in Christ's sacrifice. So obviously we don't see that specifically in the text, but we'll see how we get there for us, how Abel's example helps us to see that faith trusts in Christ's sacrifice. So verse four says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So hold your finger there. We're going to flip to the book of Genesis and find out, well, what in the world is this story that he's talking about? What's this sacrifice that he made? So flip back to the book of Genesis. Genesis is the very beginning of your Bible, if you don't know. Genesis, and we're going to be in chapter 4. So look at Genesis chapter 4. I'll start reading in verse 1. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife. I'm guessing you know who Adam and Eve are. We don't have to set the context there. Adam and Eve knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock, and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and fell on his face. So here's the story. That's the story of what uh, verse 4 is talking about in Hebrews. It's pointing back to this, this offering that was made by Abel. And God obviously accepted Abel's offering, and he seems to have rejected Cain's offering. Now, at first glance, you kind of read it, and when I read it the first time, I'm kind of like, like, what gives? Like, it seems like Cain was bringing something, and it seems like Abel was bringing something else. Like, Cain was the worker of the ground, so it makes sense. He's bringing, you know, some an offering of something that maybe he was doing in his workplace. And then obviously Abel brings something. He's, he's the, the one who is the keeper of the sheep. So of course, he's going to bring something from his flock. So what is going on here? Like, why was Abel's accepted? Why was Cain's not accepted? Well, we have to understand when the, the scriptures are written, they don't always write all of the details. Part of the reason they don't write all of the details is because uh, the letter would be too long. Another reason is sometimes things are accepted. Sometimes things are kind of understood. 
When you write a letter to somebody, you don't have to qualify all kinds of things because you have a common experience, and so there's kind of understanding that's there. So maybe there's some details here that uh, aren't apparent to us as we first read, but as we kind of look in the broader part of the text, we can understand what's going on here. Because what has happened prior to this, remember the story of Adam and Eve, obviously they ate of the fruit they weren't supposed to. They were sent out of the garden. But what did God do for them? God provided clothing for them. Remember, God provided clothing for them. He made garments in verse 21 of chapter 3. It says, the Lord made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Well, where do you get garments of skins? Um, they, they weren't made uh, in a factory with man-made materials. So garments of skins come from animals. A sacrifice was made to care for Adam and Eve. They didn't maybe understand the significance of that, but at God's care for them, there was a sacrifice that was made. And then later on in the book of Genesis, we see that the people of God made sacrifices to the Lord before the system was put in place that we've been learning about before the sacrificial system was put in place. There was an understanding that there was a need for sacrifice, a need for offering. And Cain doesn't make a sacrifice. Abel makes a sacrifice. And because we know from, from Hebrews 9, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of Sins. We know that looking back, the writer of Hebrews tells us that, but they would have had some kind of understanding of that back in the time of Genesis. And what God is getting at here in approving Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's sacrifice is really not about the sacrifice at all. It's actually about their heart attitude, the attitude in which they came to make the sacrifice. Faith has, is, is a heart attitude. So their sacrifices actually reveal what's going on in their heart. So for Abel, he understands that there's, there's just one way to do it. It's God's way. I'm going to do it God's way. Abel seemed to realize there was a need for him to have his, his sins atoned for. But Cain, on the other hand, he chose to do it his own way. He chose to, to pick the sacrifice that he wanted to make, and we can know that he did it his own way because as God interacts with him, he, right before God interacts with him, he gets angry. He gets very angry. When do we normally get angry? We get angry when things don't go the way that we want, particularly if we spend a lot of time doing something, we put a lot of effort into it, and we're expecting to get something, and we get something completely the opposite of what we're doing. And that's what's going on in Cain's heart. He's done this. He's, he's expecting something. He had an opportunity. He's, he's before the Lord. Rather than seeing, I've, I've not made the right offering and humbling himself before the Lord, he gets angry, and he takes it even further. We learn as we read on he gets so angry, God even warns him. God loves him enough to warn him, hey, um, your heart's not right. But he ends up killing his brother, Abel. He takes it to the degree that he kills his brother, 
Abel. He doesn't want to do it God's way. He wants to do it his own way. And so he's going to take things into his own hands and to even kill his own flesh and blood. True faith approaches God on his terms, not on our terms. We want to approach him on his terms, not our terms. And so there, there is a sacrifice that's needed for us. So in our day, we understand there's a sacrifice that's needed. For us to approach God on his terms, we must be perfect. We must be absolutely perfect. So because none of us are, we cannot approach God on his terms unless we trust in the sacrifice of Christ. Really, ultimately, the sacrifice that Abel made pointed to the sacrifice that Christ would make. And our works aren't what justify us. Our faith is what justifies us. Abel's sacrifice pointed to Christ, and now and our self-righteous good works, they don't get us across the finish line. Don't believe the lie that if I do enough good things here, then God's going to be like, yep, you checked off enough boxes, you're going to be fine. We can't do enough. We can't. We will always come short. We must trust in the sacrifice of Christ. We approach God this way by confessing our sins and trusting in the Lord Jesus. Acts 4.12 tells us there's no salvation. Uh, there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given by which men must be saved. And that is Jesus. John 14, Jesus taught us, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we must trust. And I exhort you to trust in the Lord Jesus. But here's the reality. Everybody can come. Cain could have come and believed God. Cain could have come with a repentant heart but he wanted to do it his own way. But everyone, the offer is not based on your merit. It's not based on your pedigree. It's not based on your family line. I think it's, it's helpful to, to read a verse from Rock of Ages, a, a hymn from long ago. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. That's, that's the attitude, the heart attitude we need to have as in faith. Faith trusts in the sacrifice of Christ. And as we trust in the sacrifice of Christ, see, Cain wanted to do his thing because he was making a name for himself. He got mad when he didn't get put forward. Yet Abel's, Abel is the one whom is pointed out. Abel's the one we remember. Abel's the one that was commended by God. Though he died, it says, he still speaks. Abel was the first martyr in our Bibles. He stood for God. He served God. And it cost him his life. But for us, we know as Revelation speaks to the church in Revelation 12, 11, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. So even as you trust in Christ, 
that step will endure. The world tells you to make a name for yourself. And the Bible tells us to make his name great. And as we make his name great, it's amazing how that is what endures. So we want faith, trust in the sacrifice of Christ, in Christ's sacrifice. So that's the first kind of picture that we see. The second picture that we see in our text comes from the story of Enoch. Look in verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. So let's turn back and look at the story in Genesis. So flip back to Genesis chapter 5. So we're in Genesis chapter 5 right now, and we're just going to be in verses 22 to 24. Okay, you're going to learn about this story. So in the context here, there are descendants of uh, Adam, a bunch of guys that lived hundreds of years. We won't get into all of the particular details, but we come to this guy, Enoch. And it says he had lived 65 years. And in verse 22 of Genesis, 20, 20, uh, Genesis 5, it says, Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. What did that look like? I have no idea what that looked like. Was he just like walking along and, and he just disappeared? Like was he taken up in a, in a cloud? Like I don't know, but we, he didn't die. There's a couple of individuals, we won't go into the other story, like he, he didn't die. He was just taken. I still, every time I read it, I'm like, that is the way to go. That is totally the way to go. And you too can possibly have that if you live 365 years. No, but the thing that's pointed out in Hebrews about him is he was he pleased God. God took him. He pleased God. He pleased God, but he walked with God. Faith is relational. It's not just this cold hearted thing that's kind of distant. Well, we believe stuff and God's distant. Man, he's asking me to believe something that's just really like, that's just really hard and I'm not sure if I can get there. Yet we find an example of faith in which God is intimately walking with and an individual is intimately walking with God in relationship. Faith always directs us to a personal, intimate relationship with God. So the relationship with a loving father versus trying to approve or get approval from, from a boss. Because we can easily get, and we'll, we'll talk about this, it's impossible to please him without faith. So we start to think about the, the boss scenario. How am I going to, you know, get approval from my boss? No, this is more like father. This is more like 
the beginning of the Andy Griffith show. So you all, you all have seen the beginning, right? The, I'm not going to whistle it because you all are whistling it in your head. Right? What, do you, what do you see? You see Andy Taylor and his son Opie walking down a path to go fishing, right? And as they're walking, dad is walking along and, and son is kind of like running to catch up and then he gets a little bit ahead and then he gets a little bit behind and he gets to catch up. But they are together walking. That's the, the picture of pleasing God. Really, in the original, pleasing God, walking God, with God, those, those are synonymous. So pleasing God in Hebrews, walking with God in Genesis, those are kind of interchangeable. So walking with God over time, not an event, not a series of events. Not like, okay, if I do my devotions, check it off this day, and I do it this day and this day. No, it's just, it's over time. It's a journey with the Father. So walking with God, as it says here, suggests that a living relationship, a growing knowledge of the Father, a, a mutual agreement and, and, and of mind and heart. So if you think about that picture as, you know, Andy's walking with Opie. They are going in the same direction. Why would you say they're walking together? They're going in the same direction. They're walking at the same pace. They're walking down the same path. To say you're walking with someone, you've got to, you've got to have those things. You can't just be going to the same place because you can go to the same place by different paths. You can't just say that you are, are going to the same place on the same path and walking with someone if you're at different paces. So that's kind of the picture. And whose pace are we walking with? Are we trying to walk at our pace or God's pace? What's pleasing to God? Walking with God at his pace. So sometimes that means speed up a little bit taking a step of faith, going to a place like the Dominican, like our friends are there right now. Sometimes the pace is slowing down because you're ready to just rush into something and the Lord's like, nope. That's walking with God. Warren Wearsby said, Enoch had been walking with God for so many years that his transfer to heaven was not even an interruption. Enoch had been practicing Colossians chapter Three centuries before Paul wrote the words, keep seeking the things above. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. How did Enoch please God? He walked with God. He walked with God. And he believed God to be who he was. Look at verse six. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. And whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. So this almost kind of unpacks, this verse feels a lot different as it comes after this walking with God with Enoch. He believed God. What were the things he would have known about God? He would have known he was the creator as we learned about last week. Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. 
knows he's the creator of all things. He would have known he's the sustainer of all things. We learn from Hebrews 1.3, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And he would have known, and he's the, the reconciler of all things. Colossians 1.20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. We know he's the reconciler of all things. We need to keep that in review, but he's also the rewarder. As it says here, he rewards those who seek him. He rewards those who seek him. God invites us to walk by his side. He invites us to know him. It's not this, hey, you just need to have faith. Suck it up and just believe. I can't believe you don't just believe. No, there's this relationship, this intimacy that happens. Seeking God to know him, not to avoid punishment. That's the way we kind of think about it sometimes. Because the world tells us to achieve things, to do more things, to earn favor from other people so that they can think you're awesome, to achieve, do this, do that. We can let that seep into our Christian experience. But that's not what we're called to. We're called to just walk with God, to seek him for, for who he is, to seek his face more than we seek his hand. That, that was transformational when I heard that phrase from a friend of mine, seeking his face, not just seeking his hand. Certainly want to ask him. He wants us to seek his hands, but we want us to seek his face. That's what's pleasing to him. That's the faith that's pleasing to him. One of my daughters had, uh, kind of gave me an illustration of this that I remembered. I, I, I texted her and said, hey, is this okay? So my, my daughter, Gabby, second daughter, um, she, when we were, she was, I don't know, late elementary, junior high, I can't remember exactly, uh, my parents were visiting. And uh, to give my dad something to do, uh, mom and Angie would give him a list to go, to go do stuff, and so he would often take the kids with him. So Gabby goes with him on one of these journeys, right? They're going to the hardware store and the grocery store and inevitably going to get things that aren't on the list, right? That's what you do when you're with grandpa. At least that's what you do with their grandpa. And so they're going, and they get through the list. And so my dad says uh, to Gabby, hey, is there anything else on the list? So Gabby looks, and she says, yes, there's one more thing. He's like, oh, what is it? Culver's. She says, is on the list. Oh, Culver's is on the list. Okay, so we must do everything on the list, of course. And they go. As you can guess, you know, Culver's wasn't actually on the list. She's just really smart, right? She's with grandpa, right? But what a picture. She, she's not going to him because she's trying to earn something. She didn't actually even go on the trip with the expectation of going to Culver's. They just happened to do the last you know, the last task item in the general vicinity of Culver's. But what happened? My dad blessed her. Even though she asked to go do something that wasn't on the list, it was his joy to bless her. She believed in faith that if she asked that they would go. And he had great joy in blessing her. 
And my dad has done that time and again with my kids. And that is such a picture of our Heavenly Father. It's about relationship. She wasn't in that car to earn his favor. She didn't go, I'm no, I don't think Grandpa likes me, so I think I'm going to go in the car so that he will like me more. No, I'm going to get in the car because I just want to be with my grandpa. I know it doesn't exactly, like every illustration breaks down, but there's this relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father. He's leaning in. He sent his son to go to the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. We don't need to look any farther than that to know his love, but he is constantly leaning. And we look time and again in the scriptures, whether we're in the Psalms or we're in Genesis or we're some place in the New Testament. He is looking to bless. So yes, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. But that's not a statement that's meant to be there like, you stink, you don't know how, you don't have any faith. No, it's, there's, it's in the context of relationship. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and know that he rewards those who seek him. It brings our heavenly father joy when we trust him. He brings us in even closer. It's not about your works. The enemy wants to tell you you don't please God. But the scriptures tell us that because of what Jesus has done, he looks on us as if we live the perfect life of Christ and he's disposed to bless and to please. He's pleased when we, when we trust him. Now maybe there's some of you out there, whether you're online or you're here and you're, you're asking the question, I, I'm seeking. I'm seeking right now. And I'm not sure if I'm going to find him. Will I find him if I'm seeking? Well, Romans 3.11 tells us that no one seeks God. We aren't really disposed to seek God. But Jesus tells us in John 6.44 that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So if you're seeking, that means he's already at work in you. He's at work in you. You might not see him yet, but he's already at work in you. So will if you're seeking him, will you find him? Absolutely. Jesus says, and I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So if your questioning is, am I going to find You're going to find him. Maybe you're going to meet him today. Maybe you've met him today as we've sung. Maybe you want to pray with me or Wes after the service today. But seek him as you seek his face. Maybe you've grown up in your Christian home and you're questioning because you see other people have an experience, but you haven't had an experience. Seek him. As you trust him, it pleases him and he will bless. The command is to abide in him, as Jesus said in John 15, 4. Let's seek him more than we seek his hand. We aren't given the promise of Enoch. Walk with God, and he is not. But I, I will tell you, there's going to be a day where, where our eyes are going to close here, and they're going to open in eternity. And the experience of being in this life and being in the next is going to transition just as quickly in the twinkling of an eye is what it says 
and we get a reward. And the greatest reward that we get is God. In Genesis 15.1, it says, I am your shield, your very great reward. Theologian F.F. Bruce said, the reward desired by those who seek him is the joy of finding him. He himself proves to be their exceeding joy. We get God. We get God. We don't get some uh, fat babies flying around on clouds in heaven. We get the one who spoke and this world came into existence. We get the one that's so amazing that when we're in heaven, we won't need lights. Like there won't be an app to turn the lights on and off for different parts of the service because God's glory is going to light everything up. We're not going to need to take a battery charger with us like we are to Liberia because God's going to shine on everything. That's the one that we get because of what Jesus has done. So faith trusts in in Christ's sacrifice. Faith is relational. It's an intimate relationship with God. That's what pleases God. But the fruit of that, of trusting in Christ and having intimate relationship with him is actually taking steps of obedience. Faith is obedient even when it doesn't make sense to follow God. And I think Noah's story kind of gives us that picture, right? Look at verse 7. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. In reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. I mean, thus far, Noah's really kind of the one that really unpacks that first verse, right? What's, what's faith? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. I think that that describes Noah, right? We, we know from the story of Noah, you can turn there if you want to, in Genesis chapter six is where we see the story of Noah. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna read everything uh, in the whole account. Certainly that'd be a great read this afternoon with the family, but we know, uh, starting in verse 8, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Think about that. There's kind of a picture there, similar maybe to Abel. Uh, Noah walked with God. And the story goes on. So there's some similarities to these characters. But it, the story goes on. As we know, we're not going to read it all. And God asks him to build an ark. That is enormous. Now, if you had the opportunity to do the ark encounter down in Kentucky, I'd encourage you to go do that. It's a, it's, it will make this text in Genesis just come alive to you. But Noah's asked to build a, a vessel that's 500 feet long, approximately about 75 feet wide, about 50 feet high. So what is that? Like about one and a half football fields long, football field wide, ballpark. Um, he didn't have a craftsman to help him, meaning the brand. Uh, he didn't have any power tools. He had wood pegs, okay? And he's asked to build this vessel. There's a flood coming. Oh, yeah, like the ocean's like 100 miles away. 
So, you know, let's just build it here in the dry ground that you got going on. Get your family together. And, but Noah, Noah saw the unseen flood and took action. He was obedient to what God asked him to do. He wasn't obedient because he was afraid of punishment. He was obedient because he had reverence for God. He walked with God. The things we just talked about in in terms of Enoch, he walked with God. He had this relationship with God. It was an outflow of his relationship with God. Not because he was like, oh man, if I don't do this, God's gonna just smite me and my family. No, of course I would trust him. As we walk together and I go at his pace, my life is different. My heart is free from anxieties and fears. My life doesn't necessarily mean it's easy. Life then wasn't easy, but yet he walked with God. And so it bore the fruit of being obedient. Because true faith does lead to obedience. You can't have one without the other. James says in James 2.17, so all faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. You need to have, have faith, but it looks like something. We take action. So what do, I, what do I do if I don't know what to do? What is God asking me to do? Oftentimes I will have those conversations with people. They're like, yeah, I want to obey God, but I don't know what he wants me to do, and I'm not really sure. Well, there's lots in the scriptures that is objective that we know God's calling you to do, God calling us to do. I'd say start there. If you don't know what the Lord wants you to do, you don't know if he's calling you to go to the Dominican next year or if he's calling you to go on a trip to Liberia sometime in the future, calling you to go to West Africa to serve the folks of ARA or other missionaries that we support. Maybe he's not calling you to do that. Maybe he is. But until the Lord makes those things clear, there's plenty objective in the truth of his word that we can follow. And we're going to be studying some of those things. After the new year, we're probably going to jump into the Sermon on the Mount. Why are we going to jump into the Sermon on the Mount? Because Jesus taught a lot. We want to obey all that Jesus commanded. What's God called you to do? Well, I think if you look at Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, God's called you to do that. Don't, Don't worry so much about the subjective things. Let's look at the objective things that God has given us clearly revealed in his word Let's walk with him. Let's trust in him. Even though we live in dark days. Noah lived in dark days. His evangelistic strategy won won three families, okay? His sons and their wives. That's pretty discouraging when you think about the fact that God made, gave him some clarity of what he was going to do and he knows a flood is coming over 120 years. It's not like he just had, oh, six months. We're fast-tracking this assignment. No, this took 120 years to build. He's interacting with people. Certainly, he would have experienced the jeers of those outside of his family. People maybe coming and mocking him, calling him names. Ninny Noah, idiot brain, can't believe what you're doing. You're nuts. People go in and telling their families, yeah, you know, you don't want to be like that nutcase Noah who's building a boat in the middle of nowhere.
but we experienced that. You experienced that in the workplace. You experienced that with some family members. You experienced that with friends, right? You've trusted in Christ, and you've given your life to him. Why in the world would you give of your resources to put towards supporting the ministry of a local church or ministering to people in other parts of the world? Well, that's, that's crazy. Why would you do that? Why, why aren't you seeking to, to, to advance to every level? Why would, you, why would you leave a job to go someplace on mission? Why would you stay at a job that you hate? That's crazy. Well, it's not crazy if you've trusted in Christ, if you've experienced salvation and joy in knowing him, if you're walking with him, even as those jeers keep coming then you keep obeying. We take steps of obedience now because we're assured of something. We're assured that there's a coming flood. We're assured that we are gonna be in the ark when the flood comes. When the judgment comes, we're safely inside the ark. That's why today we can make decisions that are right regardless of the blowback that we're gonna receive. Because we're going to face some of those. Some of you are facing those now. We're going to face some of those in the not-too-distant future. I can't tell you exactly what they're going to be, but they're going to come. But why can we make the decisions to have faith in God? Because we're going to be safely in the ark when the judgment comes. Why would we take steps now to give of our time to serve? Rather than investing in something that would be selfish for us. Like, for example, Harvest Kids. It's going to be one of the announcements. Hey, we're going to need some folks to help in Harvest Kids. Why in the world would you go serve in Harvest Kids when it's a lot more comfortable to sit right here and have your coffee and listen and, and sing with everybody else? Why? Because they need to hear the message. They need to hear the news about Christ. Would to God that they would respond when they're young because I didn't until I was in college and I wasted years. Would they use their younger years for the glory of God because we make the sacrifice in obedience to follow what God calls us to do? Maybe you're gonna go on a missions trip. Maybe you're gonna risk losing friends because you've trusted in Christ. Maybe you're gonna give of your resources. I don't know what God's calling you to do. But are you willing to believe God? Are you willing to say faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not yet seen? even when it doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to make sense. As Opie walked with his dad, what they were doing didn't have to make sense. He was just with his dad. And we are with our father. Noah was an instrument of salvation. Everything he did for 120 years was so that others could be saved. He devoted his life so that others could be saved. Certainly, he was a part of that being saved, but he was assured of that because of what God called him to do. How is God calling you to be an instrument of salvation in the lives of others? Faith means we trust the sacrifice of Christ. Faith means we walk with him intimately. 
And the fruit of that is faith means that we obey him. It's the natural outflow. It's not something that's arduous, but something that's natural. And we see the blessing that comes as we obey and as we trust in him. Let's pray. Father, Father, I pray that you would settle our souls right now. The magnitude of what we have learned by studying about three saints who served you and who were examples of faith for us. Lord, the temptation is to run and be like, okay, I've got to change this in my life. I need to go do. Father, I pray that you'd settle our souls and that we would simply be, that we would be in your presence. I pray for those who are here right now that that are, are wavering. They're wondering, I'm seeking the Lord. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. Lord, would you bring them comfort right now and and make your presence clear and known to them. I pray, Lord, for the one who who wants to take that step of faith and is kind of uh, feeling a bit of wavering. Lord, would you bolster them simply by being in your presence? Lord, would we right now, as we come to sing, rather than seeking your hand, Lord, I do want you to give wisdom where wisdom is needed, where provision is needed, but Lord, right now, would you give us the gift of yourself? that we'd seek your face before we seek your hand, that we'd walk with you and we'd experience the joy of pleasing you and the blessing that comes from that. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.